They always say, trust your gut. But one time, my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows. And that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no! Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 25% off. In the brand new book, Dear By Men, author, peer counselor, and creator of the hashtag Bisexual Men Speak, J.R. Youssef offers an unapologetic guide for readers who are Black, Mask, and Bi. The book features cutting social analysis, personal stories, and reclaims bi-plus visibility in a culture of erasure. It also offers practical feedback on how to unlearn internalized biphobia and homophobia, fight back against erasure and stigma, navigate sex, dating, partnerships, marriage, friendship, and much more. It's available now wherever books are sold. North Atlantic Books is offering listeners 25% off plus free shipping. Purchase Dear Buy Men at www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code CURIOUS25 at checkout for 25% off and free shipping. U.S. mailing address required. Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb, and then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but we love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that I'm V curious about. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Jessica Roney, Associate Professor of History at Temple University. I'm trying to figure out how did we come to be the United States of America, what was life like in Philadelphia, what was going on in Boston, in the Revolutionary War, and leading up to it. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. And this week, I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Jessica Roney. I nailed your last name, right? You did. You said it right. Yay. Um, So you are an associate professor of history at Temple College of Liberal Arts, but you have studied lots of really important things, interesting things. Your expertise is got a lot of commas. (laughs) Lay lay your commas of expertise on us. Well, I mean the general the general over umbrella of over it all is that I am an expert 
in early America. So that could be kind of 1600 to 1820 in a pretty large geography because early America is pretty vast. Right. So basically, you're an expert in early America. And and my theme for today's episode is, and I want to make this into like a new genre of getting curious episode, you guys, so get excited. Um, it's like, what was it like to live in Philadelphia in the in the turn of the like when America became America, which really the Revolutionary War was from 1771 <laughs> one, two. You know, you could say five, which is when the Battle of Lexington is, or 76, which is when the con the started in 76, yes, of course. For some reason I feel like it was 71 to 76. I don't know why I do that. Well, 72 is when the Boston Tea Party was. So maybe yes. maybe you're thinking of like the protest. Okay, okay, okay. So okay, yeah. So rewinding. So we had, you know, the people had come and everything was going down and the there was unrest prior to the revolution, obviously, because there was a whole like no taxation without representation. Mm -hmm. And there were 13 colonies. There were 26 colonies. What? What? Yeah. In 17... 72, there was 26 colonies? Yeah, this is the thing is that the way American history is taught is we're only taught about the 13 that became the states. But there were 26. Canada was part of the British Empire. Nova Scotia was a separate colony. Uh, Bermuda, which is still a British colony. Uh, the Bahamas, all, all throughout the Caribbean. And then Florida was actually two different British colonies, East and West Florida. So there were 26 colonies, and the question of why the 13 that rebelled did and why the 13 that didn't didn't is a really interesting question. Like, Georgia was not on board at the beginning. Um, in 74, which is the first time that they had a Continental Congress and everyone came together, uh, Georgia could have easily said, you know what? Like, no. Like, they're, they're, it's a slave economy. It's dangerous to, up, to have upheaval, whatever. Florida did not decide to go, either one of them. So— you know, so Florida, in both cases, decided not to go. Yeah, I mean, Florida was a really new English colony. They had only gotten it in the last war, the Seven Years' War, which was from uh, 1754 to 17. 17- Florida. Mm. Honey, so she, so Florida was around. There was people, there were settlers in Florida. Florida is the first European permanent settlement. It was Spanish, not not English, but it's the first permanent uh, European settlement sort of on the eastern seaboard. 50- really? Five, yeah. St. Augustine, oldest, oldest on the seaboard. Of European, there are much older settlements, of course, of Native Americans, including cities. So, oh, there were okay, okay, because that's actually like a whole other. Well, that's like a whole other thing too, because it's like I was thinking, you know, things were going down. It's like the oppression and like the removal of indigenous, like or the oppression and removal of Native Americans was going on like before the revolution. Yeah, like ever since people arrived. Yeah, and. Was it ever nice? Like, were they ever nice? Were we ever nice to each other? Like, yeah, no. I mean, it's it's a complicated— Which is not from a Native American perspective, that like, like from us. Like, I, I'm assuming that we were the dicks. No, no. I mean, well— <laughs> yeah. Yes. But the— Just to be clear, we were the dicks. Yes, yes So yes. many layers to the question. Like, Native American is not a group. Native American is an umbrella term. There are lots of different groups within that. And they fought each other, too. So when Europeans came— it's, it becomes at least a triangular conflict or, a, you know, dodecahedron, I don't even know. Yeah. Like all these different sides of people who are fighting for their own cause. So, like, yeah. so the, the Iroquois do not feel any kind of, of common cause with the Shawnee, for example. Like, there's, there's, not, there's no sense we're Native American, we should ally together. 
against Europeans in the same way Europeans are fighting each other. So the initial colonies, there's Dutch, there's French, there's English, there's Spanish. They're kind of fighting each other. They're all fighting the Native Americans. Native Americans are all fighting the Europeans and each other. So it's just this very, very messy conflict. That's not to take away that the Europeans were, in fact, trying to displace, you know, in a way that is different from the conflicts that are happening among Native Americans. They are trying to displace. They're trying to say, well, you're not farming the land, and so you don't have a right to it, and so we get to take it. And this is, a, is that was that the legal was part of it? Yeah, if you don't improve the land, that's their word, improve. Um, then you have a natural right to it, but it's not as good as my right to come in and put a fence around it and farm it, and you don't really get to. So in 1700s, your your ability to create agriculture in a classic European sense is what gave you the rights, the quote rights to, because I mean, we actually, I just did an episode of Getting Curious about um, the way that the United States displaced food sources in Native American cultures Mm -hmm. and, and how that, and how those repercussions are going on to like going on now. But that was what they were doing was like you, their, their way of thinking of farming or, or using natural resources, just not how, you know, European. It's not like... Well, there's another component to it, which is that the people doing the farming in most Native American communities are women. And so that's not how Europeans do farming. Men do most of the farming. Women might garden, they might help, but men are in charge of the sort of plowing and the the majority of the farming. So they come in and they see, well, there's no one, the men are just not farming, so there must not be farming. Like, they just ignore the women. And it's ironic because they actually do know that the women farm, but they just But they don't mass produce stuff the way that, like, we, I'm guessing they would, because, like, they follow the lamb, like, they pick the gorgeous, whatever, we need to, I don't need to, whatever. (laughs) Getting away from that. Okay. So, but basically, so there's 26 colonies, and so Florida has East and West Florida, and it was mostly, like, Spanish and English colonies within that by the time the revolution happened. It's part of the reason it didn't rebel, is that it's only about 13 years that it's been in British control at that point. So there is a British population there, but there's a much larger, or there's still a Spanish population and a much larger indigenous population. So, So Florida decides not to be part. They were invited. So is Canada. Like, everybody was invited to be. Oh, they were. Oh, yeah. So to the first Continental Congress, can't all of the, all those places were invited, even the Bermuda ones? Yeah. No, they would like, they would have liked them all to be part of it. And when they were thinking And we about, could have all maybe been in a country together. This is what they were thinking. John Adams, he like drew up a plan of like what the new United States was going to look like. They weren't calling it that yet. They were figuring out a name still. But for him, it was going to be everything. All British possessions in the Western Hemisphere would be part of this new thing. And when they wrote their first constitution uh, called the Articles of Confederation, it actually has a sort of um, pre-certification for Canada. Anybody else who wants to come in sort of has to go through a process. But Canada, they're like, you're already in. Just all you have to do is like sign on the line. You're, you're good. But that isn't still up. For that, no, they, no, they that, just continue that. We have offer. a new constitution that that replaced that one, but oh, so that and Canada was like, no, thank you. So they never wanted to. They were never trying to to play. No, they they were not into it at all. Got it. So that was all kind of happening. The twenty six colonies, and then we had our first con, con or our first um continental congress was. 74 here in Philly. It was? So 74 in Philly, but the Boston Tea Party was in 72. Right. So there's kind of like a general sense of like, ew, Britain, like, why don't we, like, like, so basically we were kind of like uh, in like a Puerto Rico relationship with them then. Like we had a representative in Congress, but we didn't get a vote or something. You're talking about with Britain? Yeah. No, so this is part of the issue. 
when when the colonists came, they sort of had various agreements with the king, never with parliament, with the king. And they set up their own governments and they said, okay, our government uh, uh, relates directly to the king, not to parliament. Parliament can't make laws that affect us. So when parliament made laws that said, okay, ta- you're going to tax you directly, that's when the colonists said, no, that's not, that's not part of our deal. Um, so they pass a law putting a tax on all these things, and the colonists say, we're not going to buy those things. And so they, this is the first—Americans actually uh, invented the boycott. Boycott is a, an American invention, the idea uh, that you will not buy things to pressure a political system in a particular way. So just to rewind, we had an agreement with that boy from Ham- the king from Hamilton, that whiny king, um, King uh, George. George the and, third. Yeah, King George. And King George III. And so he, we had a thing where like, your parliament, we report to you directly, so we'll still be your subjects or whatever, but like your parliament doesn't make laws for us. But then the parliament was like, well, we're going to tax you. And we were like, well, you can't because we don't report to you. Right. And so but they, then the king sided with the parliament. Exactly. They actually sent a, something called the Olive Branch Petition directly to King George. It was like, these people, our parliament is messing with us, and that's not the deal. We're supposed to be directly with you. And George III did two things that really pissed off the colonies. One, he ignored the petition. He's like, no, Parliament's right. Second, his family's from Germany. Uh, Originally, he's the third generation of that family to be king, but they were from Germany. Anyway, he, um, he hired a bunch of German mercenaries. And the moment the colonists heard that he had gone out and hired foreigners, Germans, mercenaries, that he was going to send to the colonies to subdue them, that was that, what would they subdue? What do you mean? Well, like that he was going to send soldiers to come and, you know, fight his own people, that he was taking—he's he, he, supposed to be my king. It's like a—it's hard to get at how um, deep, emotionally deep this relationship was. Like this is supposed to be your father figure for the whole country, your father figure, and your father figure has just gone out and hired mercenaries from a foreign country to come and shoot at you if you don't do what you're supposed to do. So people who had been like, I don't know, I don't like the taxation, but I don't think these rebels have it right. You know, maybe we can be more moderate. The moment that he brings in mercenaries— So they actually arrived— Oh, yeah, yeah. The Hessians. You might have heard of the Hessians. No, I've never heard of the Hessians. They have fancy hats. No, I've never heard of the Hessians. So it's it's 72, we have the tea party over the— So at that point, is that when the Hessians come? So 72 is—it's it's very end of 72. It's December is when the Boston Tea Party happens. So it's cold as shit. It's cold as shit. It's actually impressive they were able to get the tea in the water because, you know, up there the water does freeze. So I guess it was early enough in the winter. But anyway, they, they, they pitched the tea overboard. We're not going to pay the tax on this tea. And they pitch it overboard. And can it, you take me into that day? Do you, like what? Like it's December, and they're like, and they get all this tea. So what would happen? Because everyone loves like a high noon tea, honey. It's Britain still at this time. So what has happened is, um, so Britain had had taxed all these goods. The Americans said we're not having any of them, and then Britain passed a special tea act to lower the price of tea. And they did this. They weren't trying to trick the colonists. They're trying to help their colonies in India. But anyway, the the colonists saw saw this as a trap. Like, they're going to lower the price of the tea, but the tax still remains. So if we buy the tea, we're agreeing to the tax. They're trying to trick us. Yeah. Um, So they send the the shipments of tea. They come to all the ports, not just Boston. And every single port, Philadelphia, Charleston, they send it away. They say, you cannot dock. You cannot unload your tea. You must go back. The governor in, in uh, Massachusetts, he is bound and determined they're going to they're gonna 
load that damn tea, and they're going to make sure that this gets sold. And Because he wanted to be loyal to the king. Yeah, and he's an interesting guy. He's one of the few American-born governors. Most of them are Englishmen who've been sent here. He's an American-born, and he's like, no, we're going to do this. So against the will of the people, he brings—the ship had come, but he says, we're going to let them unload the tea. Before they had a chance, that's when uh, a number of people, the Sons of Liberty, uh, were sort of the leaders. They decided that they were going to go on board. Stand by. Mm. Okay. We're going to be, oh, my God. I am i don't know about you all, but I am enthralled right now. Uh, we're going to take a really quick, quick break. We'll be right back with more Dr. Jessica Roney right after the break. Hey. You ever own something that inspired you to up your game? We spend so much time in our cars. It's nice to have a car that makes you feel good. It's giving me like, you deserve to take care of yourself, girl. Honey, I just love Alexis because it's giving luxury. It just gives like, nice. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And the features on this GX, honey? Available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Available front row massaging seats. Ooh! Available 33-inch all-terrain tires. That's wide! Available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon. But I should stop paying for me time with whatever credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offer 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Sign me up. Room upgrades? Yes, please. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Welcome back to Getting Curious. It's Jonathan Van Ness. So it's early December. Okay. The, all the tea, all other ships have been sent away, but this Massachusetts governor is like, no, honey, the tea stays. It's going to be sold. And then all the who people? The Sons of Liberty. They get together. They go on board and they take hatchets. They're sort of dressed. They're sort of, they, they put soot on their faces. They pretend they're looking like Indians. They don't look like Indians. But anyway, they take— Ugh, <laughs> Casual racism all the way into our very beginning. But also dressing up, you know— but I, but that is interesting that like that sort of the thought of you know darkening your face to dress up like someone else and like that's like, kind of like in the fabric of things that our country has done. That's just yeah. interesting to note. But anyway, so then what happens? So they take hatches to the the casks of tea and then they dump them in the harbor so that it there's the loose tea leaf. Yeah, these would have been loose tea leaves. And and it's funny, it wasn't called the tea party until generations later. Like which kind of. The term tea party makes it seem a little bit more girly and, like, uh, not yeah. so threatening, not so yeah. rebellious. It's incredibly rebellious. It's incredibly— Because they like, couldn't even save their or their their stock. Like, they, they didn't get paid for it. Like, no one got paid. Just all that was for nothing. It's an assault. It's an assault on property, and that's one of the sort of foundations of English and subsequently American life is, is property. So so when, when they finally get news back to England, which takes a long time because it's winter, the uh, king decides to punish Boston. And what he does is he closes the harbor, which is going to cripple the economy. He takes away their constitution. He revokes it. He, so, and he closes the Boston Harbor. And closes he, it from 72 to 70, 
So it's now 73. Yeah. He closes it. And he takes away their charter. This would be like someone coming into the National Archives, taking our Constitution and ripping it in half. There is no government. The court system no longer has a basis. Nothing has a basis. Like, you can't. How do you function? Like, money doesn't work. Nothing, suits, like, whatever. Yeah. Like, it doesn't work. Um and then there were a few other acts, but those are some of the major ones. So what, after that, they just had to report, or Massachusetts had to report straight back to the king, theoretically? Or? It was technically going to be directly ruled by the governor, and they were going to have no say at all. It was going to be completely autocratic. Oh, that guy who had wanted to be loyal, who had the ship dock, it was going to be loyal for him? Yeah. Got it. He's going to be like dictator of, yeah. of Massachusetts. Right. So at that point, the other colonies were like, wait a minute, you know, like, this is not okay. You know, I think I've been giving you all the wrong years. The Tea Party's... Fall of, or winter of 73, this is all happening in 74, the other colonies are saying, no. Like, we think we think Boston went too far in destroying the, the tea, but but now when we see the king doing this, that he could do that to us. He could take away our constitutions. He could take away our government. So Tea Party 73. Yes. Yes. Now, now we're decided it's 73. Yes. And then, so then the, he closes it by 74. And then in response to all of that, that's why the Continental Congress was called. When did the German-Hessian people come in? 76. Oh, so that didn't happen for a while. So what happens next? They have the Continental Congress in 74. They say, okay, we're going to—we are going to boycott everything. We're going to not have any exports at all and—or, sorry, imports at all. And if this goes on for another year, we will stop exporting, too. Tobacco, sugar—well, uh, there's not too much sugar, but uh, rice, everything. We're not going to—we're not going to send it. Before that can happen, um, the the general in Boston is sent out to find the weapons in Lexington and Concord— and that's when the fighting starts. So in 75 is when the fighting starts. That's why the Hessians were coming in 76. Oh, so the Boston—wait, who from Boston again? It's the—there's a general posted in Boston. Boston's under military rule. And his idea is that he's he's supposed to go out to Lexington and Concord and these other little— What's Ma- Lexington and—oh, those are just little towns. And, little Massachusetts villages. And find the German people? And find the weapons that they're using there to uh, uh, defend against the British. Oh, which is really the German people, the, the mercenary people? No. You're putting him in too early. Oh, God. He's, this, is, this is pre all of them. What happens is first there's fighting between the British and the Americans in Massachusetts. Yes. And then the news of that, remember, it takes like six weeks yes. on, a, on a good trip. It takes six weeks to get back to England and then six weeks to get back. So he's got the news and by the summer of 75 that uh, this is happening. He gets the Olive Branch petition saying, okay, let's try and cool off here. You're our king. We're loyal to you. We're not loyal to parliament. And then by the spring of 76, they're getting the news, A, that he has rejected the Olive Branch petition, and B, that he's getting Hessian troops that he's going to send in addition to the British troops. Because basically he's saying, like, you guys don't get to disagree with what I'm going to do in Massachusetts, and I will do this to you. And in fact, I'm going to bring in these Germans just to make sure that you don't get any other ideas. Yeah, no, he's to the point of, like, this is this is how it's going to be, and we are absolutely going to use full force to make sure that you do what you're supposed to do. And so at that point, they're like, no. Yeah. So how does the so how does it start? How does what start? The war. Well, it's it's that that's the fighting in, in Concord and, and But how did we declare it? Like did we declare like did, were we like, fuck it? <laughs> the um well it's it no one expected there to be bloodshed um on that day in April in in Massachusetts. And as soon as everyone else hears about it, they're like, no. And they're sending troops, they're they're rallying. The Second Continental Congress is actually already meeting here in Philadelphia. They choose this random colonel from Virginia named George Washington uh to go up and be in charge of what they're calling whoa, now whoa, a whoa, continental whoa, army. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so seventy six, it's our second constitution. 
75, it's the Second Continental Congress. Got it, because 74 was the first one. And Billy. Second is 75. And it's seven, and at the Second Constitutional Congress, we pick, or Continental Congress, we pick George Washington, a relative unknown. Right. From Washington. No, this is the thing. Or from like, Virginia. These colonies are not in a whole lot of contact with each other. Like, they don't necessarily know. If you're in Philadelphia, you don't know people in Virginia necessarily. So it was actually really important to choose a Virginian to lead it because it's a, it's they didn't want it to be a New England fight. They didn't want to pick a New England guy. They wanted to pick someone else because the whole point is it's a continental problem, not a Massachusetts problem. So they choose this guy. He's got some military experience. He's He shows up actually at—he's a delegate to the Continental Congress, and he shows up in full military dress. Like, he's ready for it. And um, and they think he is, too. And so they they make him the, the general. And he did pretty well. And so general meant that he was the leading the army. He was leading the rebellion against the British soldiers. So he was going to be—because wasn't like—we were all, like, militias at that point or something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, we were. And that didn't work very well. Like, one of the first things Washington wanted to do was get a regular army. And he was like, this is—militiamen don't— pay good attention. Like, they're not good at discipline. They kind of do what they want to do. Their enlistments are short, so they'll leave. They'll go home and help their families with the farm. Like, they've got, you know, these are family men. Like, they've got stuff yeah. to do. He's like, we need a professional army. We need people who are going to be here for, th- for the duration of the war, who are promising to stay. And, like, he basically—it's funny because we have this whole myth of, like, the Minuteman and how great that is. And it's a beautiful story. But Washington himself is saying, like, no. What's the Minuteman? The Minuteman was the idea that these militiamen, the idea was that they would be ready in a minute. Oh. And that's where that comes from. There are other meanings that have, you know, come on later. But um, Minuteman in this context means, like, within a minute's notice, he would be ready to go and defend his community. So to bring it back to, like, Philly specifically, it's like, so 1974 is our first one. Mm-hmm. And and we're really like, people are not loving England yeah. at this point. They're really conflicted. Like, they, it's, it's, it's easy to look backward and say they're going to declare independence because two years later they will. But in 74, they're, they're really conflicted. There are some radicals who are saying, we're done. This is, this is over. And there are other people who are saying, like, it's like a bad breakup. You know, like, there's, there's the part of you that's like, we can make it work. And then there's the part that's like, screw it. So all of those people are there. And there are some people who remain loyal. Like, there are people who never, including who were at the Continental Congress, who never um, fully broke with England and who sided with England. Oh, that's interesting. So, but the first one, yeah, so so what was the first one like in Philly in 19, or in 1774? Well, the first one was, remember, they're, they're scared out of their minds about the fact that the king has revoked the constitution of Massachusetts. So they're afraid this could happen to them. And each one had their own constitution? Yeah, I mean, they call them charters. Yes. But yeah, so so they're, they're trying to figure out how can we punish him for that and make sure he doesn't ever do it again. And so that's where they come up with this total non-importation boycott. They're not going to take any English goods. And this will put pressure on the economy, and this will mean that he'll come to reason. Um, then there's bloodshed in April. So just just a, like they met in the fall of 74, um, that spring, now there's bloodshed. Because he, in 75, sent— The troops out to find weapons in Lexington and Concord and confiscate them. Oh, because to confiscate their weapons— from the American settler people, but how did they know that they were getting weapons? Well, by this point, the tensions are so high that that, that they have been arming. They have been practicing with their militias. Like, they're ready for a fight, especially in Massachusetts, to, to defend their rights. Right. So the English know this, and they send 
uh, orders to the general who's in Boston. They're like, go out there and take their damn weapons away. And the general's like, this is a bad idea. This is going to start a war. And they're like, we don't care. That's what we think should happen. You go do it. And he does. And it's a bloodbath for his men. It's terrible. Is that part of where the Second Amendment comes from? Like this militia and, like, right to bear arms and the well, government can't come take it from you and stuff? That's a super complicated question. Um because the the <laughs> uh, um, the Second Amendment it says the right to bear arms. Uh, uh, I'm not going to remember the language per se, but it's like the you, you'll look it up and we'll we'll talk yeah. about it. But it is tied very much to militia service, and so the debate today is whether it's a, an individual right. Like, do I individually have a right to own a gun just for whatever reason, or is the amendment written in such a way that it says for the community good, I have the right? Do you have it? It's. Pulling up extremely slow. Second Amendment. The Second Amendment of the United States Constitution reads, A well-regulated militia, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. Such language has created considerable debate regarding the amendment's intended scope. Right. So when they came up with the um, amendments, there are 10 amendments that they put in the Constitution right away, and we call this the Bill of Rights. Um, they actually proposed like 20, and they only, in the end, used 10 of them. So they're actually, we have the congressional debates around them, and some of them are really long, like how, like they're really thinking about the language. They didn't have a lot of debate about the Second Amendment. Like it was clear to them, it's not clear to us what they meant. One of the few things that they debated when they were talking about the Second Amendment, one, one guy said we should prohibit there ever being a standing army. They ignore that. That was a bad idea. They also said, um, well, what about pacifists? Pacifists should never have to serve if, if it's against their conscience. So that's one of the few things they said in the debate, which many historians interpret to mean they were thinking about the right to bear arms in relation to the duty to bear arms. A right and a duty are two sides of the same coin. So you don't have rights without also having duties. Like as a citizen, you have all these rights, but you also have duties to defend your community, to vote, to pay, pay your taxes, you know, do the things that you do to be a good part of a community. So um, that's, I, I read it as a right and a duty tied together. Um, but some right, people just want to see it as like a right, individual, totally unmoored from. They only take like the right to bear arms shall not be infringed upon. They take that sentence out of context and don't apply it to the. The well-regulated militia part, which comes before it. Right, because it's like, I think that the way that, the Constitution was written and just like the, that was part of why I wanted to do this episode is like, what was the day in and day out, you know, cultural, political landscape of early, you know, early America? And, and you know, I think that's like really interesting. So like, you know, as they're congregating for the second Continental Congress and they elect George Washington to lead the army because there was bloodshed when the general or when the guy in Massachusetts goes out to get the guns. Mm -hmm. There is bloodshed. As a response to that, is that when the second Continental Congress comes? Yeah, so they, they were actually already going to meet. When they met in, in the first one, they said, we're going to reconvene in the spring of 75, which means when the news of Lexington comes, born by somebody named Paul Revere, you may have heard oh, of Oh, yes. He's the message bearer. He shows up on his horse and says, this has happened. There's There's been fighting. Like, they were actually already in session. So they didn't have to figure it out and come together. They were already there. Interesting. So, and then they appoint, in June, they appointed... 
Washington, he goes up, and they besiege Boston. The British are holed up in Boston, and the whole militia and the Continental Army, with units streaming in from the colonies, the United Colonies, as they are now called, um, are coming in. And so for about a year, they're in this, they're in limbo. Are they rebels? And rebels, by the way, in military law, have no rights. Like, if you catch a rebel, you can kill him right away. There's no— Right. You get no rights as a rebel. Um, or are they an independent nation? Are they something different? And and so that is why the Declaration of Independence was so important. Part of it was making a decision amongst the oh, people. Oh, really quick. We're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with more Getting Curious. After this, we're figuring this out together, honey. How did we get in this whole situation? Let's face it. I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money. Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous, like two bedroom suite instead of a one bedroom suite? So you're like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room. So you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your, your guys's room. Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because, like, yes, good credit. So let's, like, do try to do that and, like, making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. If you're like me, the threat of fascism is weighing on you this year. But even when the F word is uttered, way too few of us are considering the full scope of the danger, let alone how to really stop it. The Refuse Fascism podcast hosted by Sam Goldman names it, dissects it, and connects in-depth analysis of what fascism is with the understanding and urgency we need to defeat it. And she is joined by great guests to discuss the threat of civil war, attacks on abortion rights and trans rights, Trump and the theocrats, Project 2025, efforts to erase history and critical thinking, and much more. Check out recent episodes featuring Kathleen Ballou, Jeff Charlotte, Sarah Posner, Wajahat Ali, Dahlia Lithwick, and many more. Subscribe to the Refuse Fascism podcast on your listening platform of choice or go to refusefascism.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness, and we are here with Dr. Jessica Roney, Associate Professor of History at Temple College of Liberal Arts. So we, uh, we have Washington in 
spring of 75. In June, we start besieging Boston in June of 75. Yeah. So we start besieging Boston and all the independent people, all the independent. And at that point, do we know that there's going to be 13 co-signed? No. So, so we still don't know who the United Colonies are going to be. Right. So at that point, we're still like, maybe Canada's going to join on. Maybe Bermuda's going to be like, hey, we want to leave too. Or maybe Florida's going to sign on. But that's why, you know, at this point, it's so dangerous for the fighting in, in Boston because like any of these rebels that are captured by the British. So there's is there a lot of active fighting in Boston at this time? It's mainly, so there's the Battle of Bunker Hill, which was uh, uh, June 17th. I know, it's my birthday. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I remember that one. Um, in, and it's a loss uh, for the Americans, but it shows that they can stand up to regular troops. The British troops are the best in the world. I mean, literally, like they are, they're incredible. And so the the very fact that these militiamen were able to hold up to them at all is important. But and so that's now, at Washington Command is commanding them through the summer of 75. Right. He hadn't made it up there for Bunker Hill, but he's, he's soon after he gets there. Um, this is why a year later, though, because they don't have guns. They don't have materials. Like, they have to get that from somewhere. And that means getting other countries to give them loans or to give them military aid. So in order so to be— France? So in order to be able to go to the court of France and say, help us, they have to be their own country. So that's the Declaration of Independence. It's, a, it's funny because the 4th of July, we celebrate it as these incredibly important— you know, rule uh, uh, words for us. They weren't written for us. They were written for the King of France. They were written to say, "We're our own country. Please give us aid." This is part of like what- so. Fourth of July, seventeen seventy six. Actually, they they declared independence on July second. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. So July second, seventeen seventy six, we declare independence from England to the King of France. Yep, it's on the fourth that they adopt the Declaration of Independence. So it's funny because John Adams writes home to his wife. He's like, "July second will be celebrated throughout American history. There'll be bonfires and fireworks and all kinds of stuff." And it's like, "Yes, but it'll be July fourth. Why? Well, that was the day the vote was taken to do it, and then the fourth was just adopting the language. So he was thinking like the action was the important thing, not the language. So they have they voted to do. It the second, but then like on the fourth, they're like, okay, and we're putting it in effect. Well, no, the fourth, they're like, this is the this is the list of reasons. This is the document that explains. Oh, and they hashed all that out on yeah. the fourth alone. If you if you read, no, the, there was a committee that had been working on it. It's so the day that they adopted the what the committee had come up with, and the committee is basically Thomas Jefferson. Like there are other people on the committee, but he wrote it, and the rest of the committee members kind of. And those are the Bill of. The Bill of Rights is much later. That will come Got it. after the Constitution. Got it. So this was just like a. In 1776, July 2nd, they were just, like, saying, like, we are an independent nation. We're going to call ourselves the United States. Yeah. Is that when we knew officially that there was going to be 13? There were 13 there at that point. They had actually sent um, a mission of uh, an embassy to Canada to try Canada to participate as well. And and they were like, no, we're not. They're just not doing it. We're not, not into it. it. They were Catholic. They were afraid that the United States, which was kind of rapidly anti-Catholic at the time, they were like, that's not a good, that's not a good partnership. Got it. So we— Declare our independence on July 2nd. We adopt the language on July 4th of the stuff that Thomas Jefferson had said. But what was that called? Like, the, like what did they adopt on the July 4th? Like, well, it's it's called the Declaration of Independence. Oh, yeah, Jesus, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. So it it it's funny, you know, the, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator. Uh, I'm going to get the language. Yeah. It. But that's that's the part that everyone knows. The document's like this long, you know, like that's that's a couple sentences and it's actually quite a long document. And what all of those parts are, are a laundry list of all the reasons that King George George has failed as a king. And that this is this is the political philosophy of the American Revolution is that there's a social compact between the people and their governor. 
And what they're saying is the governor has broken the contract. He has failed to protect us. He has done all of these things wrong. He has sent mercenaries amongst us. Um, he's incited Indians against us. There are all these things they're saying. This is what he's done wrong, and this is why we are declaring independence. We're not just crazy. We're not just rebels. We are um, a, a political people making our own decisions, and he broke the contract first. It's not our fault. We're standing up for our rights. Right. So that happens in July 4th. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Then they have a long road ahead of them. In Philly, what happens? In Philly, uh, so they have about a year, they have about 15 months where they're kind of hanging out in Philadelphia before the British show up. And the British kick the butt of the American army. So that has to flee. So so Philly, they have the— because the the battles the battles going on in Massachusetts and Boston because that's where all the stuff was going down. So, but then like after is Bunker Hill just ongoing all through seventy five into the winter and stuff. So the British actually left Boston. It wasn't a particularly um, well held city for them or very important. Instead, they take New York and they take New Jersey, and then they decide they're going to take Philadelphia, which is not a really strong military target, but it's like a devastating blow, and it means that Congress has to flee, and George Washington is at Valley Forge, this, like, camp. Okay, so take me into this. Mm -hmm. Take me into the fleeing, because I read this thing about, like, when we won the revolution, like, George Washington went to New York City, like, to leave, to get rid of the last troops, and he had this, like, apple pie or something, and I was just like, oh, how interesting. I didn't realize, like, like, weird. So, basically, so— Bunker Hill's all popping off, and we lose there, but we showed that we could stand up to them, and then, like, that kind of made everyone take notice. We lost the battle, but we won the siege. Right. We won the siege. And then at 76, we regroup in the summer, and we're like, we got to declare independence because they can just take us at will, and 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 we haven't really declared war yet, and we need to organize a war, and we got to go to France, and we can't do that unless we're our own country. So they do that July 4th, 1776, with the King of France, and then he sends us a bunch of ships and troops and stuff? Well, you got to think about it from the King of France's perspective. He's got colonies, too. He doesn't want his colonists looking at this and saying, oh, that's a neat idea. And, of course, they are going to do that in, in a very short amount of time. But so he's he's kind of got two competing sides of him. One is, I, I hate England. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really would love to stick it to England. So I would love to help the colonists. On the other hand, I'm broke. I just lost a war against England, and I don't want to encourage my colonists with these crazy ideas of, like, you can get rid of your king. That's not anything he wants to support. So he's kind of, like, laying back to see what happens. And it's what happens is the Americans are just getting their butts kicked. Like, what Washington is very good at, though, is never allowing the British to catch him and force him into an all-out battle. Every time they think they've got him cornered, he gets away. Every time. So he knew he had to stay free of British capture because that would have spelled out, like, the end. Yeah. So there's just sort of, like, the British have to defeat. The Americans just kind of have to survive. And that's, those are two very different yes. levels of objectives. So they survive long enough. They finally get a good victory in Saratoga um, in 78. And that's, So basically, from the time we declare independence through 78, we're just getting our ass kicked. Yeah. So, and when we send word to France that we are going to declare independence in 76, it takes until when do the British come and they take New York City and they take all of New Jersey? Um, 76 is when they send these flotillas with tens of thousands of British soldiers. And like you you were referencing Hamilton earlier, they talk about um, the the sight of it, of, of the, the harbor, New York Harbor, just filled with these So New ships. York City, where we see like what is present day, like, like downtown Manhattan, like, like the like the base, like the base of Manhattan, like there was just t- that's like where the port of New York City is, and there was just tons of British ships just coming. Just imagine nothing but sails, and you. Do know we know that- what day that was? 
It or is, what time of year-ish? It's the summer. Summer of 76. So right after we declare independence, maybe six weeks later, like mm-hmm. mid-August or something, because that's how long it takes or whatever you had said, like six weeks on a good well, journey Well, no, because he's, he's already sending the troops before the Declaration of Independence. I do not remember off the top of my head when they get there, but it's, you know— so, but they just clear out New York City and they're like, if you're a rebel, they kill you, right? Or, or if you're a part of the American army, they're captured. Because we already were a country by then, so maybe we had some rights. Like if they captured this. The British don't recognize it, you know, just because the United oh, so, States says it's an independent nation. So they were still capturing them as rebels yeah. or whatever. This is the thing about declaring yourself a country. Other people have to recognize it. Like Puerto Rico, you said before, like Puerto Rico could say we're our own country. But unless other people recognize it and treat it like an independent nation, it's not. So... But they take New York City and Washington, everyone's like, shit, they're coming. There's a really lot of people. And they take New Jersey and we're like, shit, there's a lot of people. And then in 70, oh, and then, but Washington's just escaping, escaping, escaping. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, I want to go to Philadelphia. Yeah. So then in 76, they take New York, they take New Jersey. And then in Philadelphia, we're all minding our own business. That was our first capital. Like, that's like our mm-hmm. capital. Even in 76, it is because yep. that was where our continental. Yeah. Co- so what happens? Like, we all wake up in the morning of like something. So in the fall of 77, um, the British have decided they're going to march over land. They're going to br- send some troops up. And by they've water. already taken New York City. And they're going to take Philadelphia. And again, it's not a strong military. And they already took New York City and New Jersey at this and point. And they, they hold New York the whole war. Yes. New York, the, the whole war, it's it's under British control. Um, they send these troops to Philadelphia, and and they we lose the Battle of Germantown. We lose uh, the Battle of Brandywine, and, and, you know, that's when— the Congress has to flee. So Congress had to flee. All the representatives that were here had to flee. Everyone has to flee. The British, did they burn the house? Did they burn everything down? They didn't. The British come. They take over the houses. They take over independent, what we call Independence Hall. It was called the Pennsylvania State House. Then they 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 trash the place. Like they're there for the better part of a year, but nine months probably. And they when they left. Because, again, it's not a military strategy, like, strategically important place. They just give it up because it's not helping them. Um, They trash the place. I mean, there's just, like, shit, literally, excrement everywhere. They used Independence Hall as a hospital. You know, they're just—they're desecrating churches. They're doing all kinds of things. But one of the things that's funny that they do— there, um, the general was recalled and back to England because he wasn't, the war wasn't going well. Before he left, his officers organized for him probably the biggest party Philadelphia ever saw. It's in what's today is sort of a Passyunk area. Um, they organized this like whole day long medieval joust where they've got, they, they have two teams. There's like the white knights and the black knights and they, they, they literally are jousting. They have this extravagant party. All of the pe- the elites of Philadelphia who haven't fled are invited. They dance. They to die. send the general back to England, but they were all loyalists to the to yeah, England. The, these are all loyalists, and, and so all they, the reps for the thirteen colonies that were like fighting, like with Washington, had to flee in the middle of the night, like guns blazing yeah, and so stuff. Did they kill like, any of the representatives? Did any of the Congress people get killed or anything? Or no, did they all get away? No, they all got away. So the British kind of sucked. Like for like being the best in the world, like I feel like we were really like getting away a lot. Well, you got again. You got to think it from the British perspective. Fuck like, you, King George. On the one hand, like the more they kill Americans, the less Americans want to be loyal to them. So if your if your point is to say you belong as part of the British Empire, you want you want them to come to your side voluntarily. So it sort of limits your ability to have a military campaign. So they're doing both. Like, actually, if the British had really brought it, if they had said, like, fuck you, America, we're just going to bring it to you, you know, like— they could have done far worse than they did, but because they're always fighting with one hand behind their back because they're kind of trying to say, you really belong with us. Come back. Because there was a lot of loyalists the whole time within American— You know, that we don't know specifically or exactly, but we think um, that that a, a, a significant percentage was, was kind of neutral. 
like about half were about neutral, about a quarter was loyalist, and about a quarter was really pro. So when they come to Philadelphia and they take over the houses in 77, so mm-hmm. it's 77 that they arrive here because they yeah. already had the other ones. Um, like that means like the British weren't soldiers like using homes. Like they were just like, hey, you have to provide beds or whatever. And yep. if you said no, would they just kill you or something or put no, you in jail? Or they didn't need to kill you, but they would just do it anyway. Like they have the military force and the people who are in Philadelphia don't really have arms. Like it's not like they're going to stand at their door all day and shoot anyone who comes in. So, yeah. So, okay. So the 13 colonies and and we've. I'm just I'm I'm having a fork in my road of if I want to go towards what happened in the Revolutionary War or if I want to talk about like what Philly and more like the cultural political politics of like the time works. I'm also but I'm also like we're not going anywhere. It's like I can always have you back for like a maybe you could say like my early American expert. I I would love it. Um, so like who. Of the 50% that were neutral, and then the ones that were more fiery. Because, like, I saw John Adams on HBO, like, years ago. Such a good miniseries. Oh, my God. So, who were, like, the most fiery geographically? Um, and then who was, like, the most, like, conservative and the more, like, mid- like what was, like, the Midwest of the colonies? Pennsylvania. So, Pennsylvania was, like, the Midwest. Like, oh, no, maybe we really should be more, cult- like, more loyal. There, I mean, so, Massachusetts is, like, super radical, most of them. Um, then there are these hotheads in Virginia, like uh, Patrick Henry, Thomas Jefferson. Pennsylvania is really on the fence about it. Like they're the 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 one guy who's probably the most polit- uh, strong political actor going up to the revolution. He remained a loyalist, and so he's got his finger on the thumb of Pennsylvania government right up to the end when they finally oust him. But his name is Joseph Galloway, and he. Is not oh, ha- and he was the guy who got recalled. No, this is uh, this is in Pennsylvania. You're thinking? Oh, got it, got it. Sorry, yes. Uh, the the general, but this is yeah. No, this is a Pennsylvania guy, and he's just not for it. The other thing about Pennsylvania, of course, Quakers, and the Quakers are not. They don't really like what King George III is doing, but they also don't really. They Pennsylvania is a very special place. They had their own special charter that gave them religious protection, which they had not had in England. And they're afraid. What if we have a revolution? We tear up our governing document. They make a new one. How can you guarantee me that my rights are going to be as protected under the new government as they are under this one? But they ended up being freedom of religion was like a part of it, wasn't it? It well, yes, but but how do you know that in seventeen seventy five? Like right. if I came to you today and I was like, Jonathan, we're going to tear up the declaration. We'll uh, do it the, in a year, though. Don't worry. We're going to we're going to tear up the declaration. We're going to tear up the constitution. I promise you, the new government will be just as good. Like, how would you feel about right. that? Right. What about like South Carolina and North Carolina and like Georgia? Georgia and all of the southern states, South Carolina especially, and, and Virginia, like they have very large enslaved populations, which means they have an uh, an insurgent population right there. And and the, the British know this. The British actually promise freedom to any uh, black man. They don't really want the women or children uh, who will come and join them and fight with them. And so— the, Oh, they did? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and so the, the the planners are just like losing their minds over this. This is this is actually, if you read the Declaration of Independence, it's one of the things they say that he has incited domestic insurrection amongst us. That that doesn't say the word slave, but that's what they mean. Oh, domestic in, internal insurrection. Because was there? Because wasn't there? Was there abolitionists in the Revolutionary War? Not. They're just starting to get started, and it's actually in Pennsylvania with the Quakers that they are getting started. So in 75, independent of all the rest of this, uh, the Pennsylvania Abolition Society was founded here in, in Philadelphia. It's like tiny. It's Quaker. Most people think they're nuts. But um, but there's been a, a voice of abolitionism going back 75 years in Pennsylvania at that point. So it's been a strain, usually ignored, but getting stronger in Pennsylvania from all that time. But it's not a big part of the American Revolution. Like, the Revolution is 
not whatever other hierarchies they want to disrupt, slavery is not really one of them. So, wow. So I think I just want to like zoom through the end of the Revolutionary War and then and but then I'm going to have to have you back to talk about like what daily life like how did you get water <laughs> what was like what you know what was like like what did the streets look like like I want to talk about all that stuff but and then I got distracted with the Revolutionary goddamn war well, so t- I will have to have you back twice I'm going to tell you the water one which is that you you drink beer that's how you get your water interest mm. okay okay wait so but Saratoga seventy eight we win. A, 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 an important battle. And that is, that is enough for the Sarah French. Saratoga's in New York, right? It is, yeah. Um, that is enough for the French king to say, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in on your side. Because we, we had done it up on our own up until then. And it's proved that they're serious. Like, he doesn't want to come in on the side of people who are not really going to uphold their end of the bargain. Yeah. They're just going to fold. They've shown that they're not going to fold. They've actually won a battle. He really would love to stick it to the English. So he comes in on their side. He signs a treaty with them, and he starts sending troops. This changes everything for the British. Because now the French, unlike the Americans, the French have a navy. Which means suddenly Britain has to defend Britain. It has to defend the Caribbean. It has to defend India. It has to defend Africa. It has all these different colonial possessions all over the world. Suddenly, the American Revolution becomes a global war. Then Spain comes in. Uh, Spain never uh, sides with the Americans uh, for long reasons, but it allies with France. So it's like the friend of our friend. Now, Spain is is fighting. Spain actually invades Florida and gets it back. This is one of the interesting things about the American Revolution. The British lost 15 colonies in the American Revolution. 13 go to the United States. Two go back to the Spanish Empire. Which was Florida and? East and West Florida. It's two colonies. Oh. Don't know why. So they, and then when did Florida leave Spain and join us? Uh, That happens in 1819. Wow, that wasn't for a long ass time. Yeah, it's a long time. So Florida was part of Spain until 1819. Yeah. That's like 40 more years. Mm-hmm. So we win Saratoga and then France comes in and then we made a treaty those days like we're going to be allies. And then we ended up winning the Revolutionary War in? Um, 81. The, the Battle of Yorktown is the last one and it's this incredible uh, coming together of the American M- uh, Army, the French Navy. They're all pinning the British in. At the time... It wasn't actually a decisive defeat. Like, at the time, it wasn't clear that that was going to be the last battle. But the British had just lost Pensacola, Florida, to the Spanish. They're afraid they're going to lose Jamaica because the Spanish are kind of eyeing the Caribbean. And however much the British don't want to lose the 13 colonies they lost, Jamaica is their most important colony. It is the wealthiest colony of all of them, and they cannot afford to lose Jamaica. And they're like, you know what? We're calling it. We're just going to cut our losses. This country's never going to work anyway. They're, they're going to fight amongst themselves. They're going to fall apart, and we'll just have them back. Like, it'll be like a couple years of nonsense, and then they'll be part of the British Empire again because this is just not—it's stupid. It's not going to work. So that was what their thinking was. Yeah. That's crazy. So 70—well, interesting. So 78, we won Saratoga. Then the tides start to change. But so then when we win in New Yorktown, that wasn't totally clear, but then the king decides that, like, he it didn't want to fight anymore. Yeah, it took two more years to sign the— the um, the Treaty of Paris. So the, it's always hard to say what are the years of the American Revolution. The fighting is 75 to 81. The Declaration is 76. The Treaty of Paris, which ended it, is 1783. So it's Oh, like, so it didn't—because so, wasn't there still, like, some random battles, like, in Georgia and, like, other places that were, like, they couldn't get, like, word to that 
like your town was over and stuff? Well, yeah, there's still fighting. And the thing is, like, it depends on where you're standing. The American Revolution, if you're Cherokee, the American Revolution lasted until the 1790s. You know, like that that conflict that starts in 17, in the 1770s in, say, Tennessee or Ohio, that same conflict went on for like 40 years. I don't understand. I mean, like the the a big part of that war, like we've focused on the eastern side of it and how they're they're fighting the British. They're also fighting Indians, and uh, that war doesn't end in seventeen eighty three. Because is Britain still claiming like ten like the land that is currently Ohio and? No, they give that up in the Treaty of Paris. But the Shawnee people and the Delaware people and the Miamis and all these different groups who are there, they're like, it's not Britain's to cede, guys. This is our land. It's not your land and it's not Britain's land. It's Shawnee land. So then the U.S. government and the Shawnee started making treaties in like— No, they're fighting. Oh, they're, but they fought until but until like 17— Until the War of 1812. Oh. Yeah, no, this is what I'm saying is like— how you define the beginning and end of a war depends on where you're standing. So the War of 1812 was between... The War of 1812 is once again between the United States and Britain in most textbooks. But if you're standing in Ohio, the war started in 1754 and it didn't end until 1815. So is that when Britain was like, okay, it's been there for 40 years of craziness, we're going to take them back now? No, it's that the British the British are mainly like the, the the reason for that war is that the Americans are sick of the British trying to control their navy, their their mer- merchant shipping. But it means that the British who are in Canada are suddenly like they're supplying Native Americans who are in Ohio and the Americans are trying to take those Indians land and this is all Anyway, all I'm trying uh, to say is that the American Revolution has a tidy end if you're a white person. It does not have a tidy end for indigenous people who are fighting to preserve their homelands. And the American Revolution just opens up conflict for them. It doesn't end it. it their war for independence is ongoing. Oh, my God. That's like a whole, it's like a whole other podcast. It's, it's so – my mind is so blown right now. It's so multilayered. <laughs> just really quickly – George Washington goes to New York City at the end. What was that whole thing of him, like, taking, like, a horse down Broadway? And, like, I feel like I read something about him having, like, some apple cake or some apple pie, some apple thing. Have you ever heard this story? I haven't heard that story, but I hope it's true. Yeah, it made me, like, research, like, apple cake, like, early apple cake (laughs) of, like, New York City. Um, Okay, well, you're definitely going to have to come back and tell us more stuff. But there was, so, but basically, so, Yorktown, young, Yorktown was Mm -hmm. the last official battle with, like, British troops as we know them and, like, American troops as we Mm -hmm. Do it in the Revolutionary War. Like, there wasn't any other official ones after that, but maybe that's little the skirmishes. Last, that's the last big one, yeah. And and again, if you've seen Hamilton, um, they sing the song about Yorktown. It's called The World Turned Upside Down. That is the title. I love, like, Miranda, he he got all these facts and he, he slips them in. So that is the song that they played. It's called The World Turned Upside Down that they played when the British um, uh, surrendered. And so they leave Virginia. The reason that George Washington goes to New York City is that that's the last place the British hold on to. And they're there until, I guess, the fall of 1783. It might be 1784. Anyway, when they finally evacuate, it's called Evacuation Day, they they negotiated with them. It'll be on this day. We will finally be gone. And so, like, they leave, and Washington comes in, and it's this huge important celebration. And that wasn't until 83. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to do other episodes like, what was evacuation day like? What happened with 1812? What was it like, like a day in the life of Philadelphia in, you know, 1776? We have so many more episodes. So like, this is really just our introduction. I feel like you're giving me a whole semester of classes to teach. This is awesome. Ah, <laughs> Dr. Jessica Roney, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. It's been wonderful to talk to you. 
You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Dr. Jessica Roney. You'll find links to Dr. Roney and Temple University socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend, show them how to subscribe, honeys. Getting Curious is produced by Emily Bosick, Julie Creo, Ray Ellis, Harry Nelson, and Colin Anderson. 